Um, okay, let's pray briefly and then we will we'll dive in together. Um, Lord Jesus, we are thankful. We have so many things to be thankful for from the mundane to the extravagant. Um, we are thankful most of all for Christ to whom we have been reconciled and in light of the resurrection through whom we shall certainly see salvation. God, we pray that uh, you would help attune our mind to your word this morning, both in the Sunday school hour here. Bless uh, our children's workers. I uh, pray that those teachers would impart wisdom and sow seeds that would change lives. We pray for our ministries um, throughout this building this morning, that they would be a pleasing aroma to you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, uh, I missed you all last week. I trust you were well served, however, by Ben and um, Robbie. Uh, I have not gotten to listen to either one of those ministries, but I'm sure uh, they were both fantastic. I've been up in Roanoke, or the Noke, as I like to say, um, with uh, my family, where we had a thanks Christmas Big thing, Chanti and I, my mom and dad drove up from Birmingham. Chase and Rebecca lived there and really good time spent uh, with family, but certainly uh, glad to be back here with you this morning. If you remember the last time we were together, we were discussing baptism. So I want to jump right back into that. And I'm going to try to move through some of these things. I've been conflicted about how much time to spend on some of these texts um, like, do I really want to spend like eight weeks on baptism? No, I don't think I do. But there's some of these things where it's like, oh, I feel like I'm robbing people if I don't work through some of these things. So bear with me and give me feedback if it seems like I'm beating a dead horse at any particular point. You'll recall we started with circumcision in the Old Testament as a physical sign of the covenant people of God. Uh, and that, that is to say that baptism does not just drop out of the sky when we land on the pages of the New Testament, it was a sign given to Abraham. We read about that already in Genesis 17. Uh, and it was administered only to infant males. Um, the promise from the beginning, Genesis 3.15, was wed to a particular seed. Okay? Uh, and, and, and so that is what, how to say it? That is what received the sign the seed producer. Any questions about that? Good. Let's move on. That is why the sign was circumcision. Okay? Because the promise was always through the seed. Uh, and, and the seed we learn in Paul refers to, referred to, not to be, not exclusively, but in the fullness of Revelation ends up referring to Christ. We talked about how the circumcision is likely, but not certainly. Okay? I'm not going to uh, bet all my theology on this one, but it's very likely served a dual purpose because the the word for covenant that's associated with circumcision with Abraham is the word uh, to, to make a covenant in the Hebrew is to cut, karat. It's to cut a covenant, literally. And it, it seems that this, it's, it, is it just purely coincidence that in the first covenant God cuts with Abraham that there is a sign that involves cutting um, to display membership in that covenant, but also not being a mem not being faithful would mean being cut off from the promise. Later, that we language that we also see uh, in the Old Testament. Then we stumble upon. So that was the brief review of last time. Okay, and, and um, I understand that was very brief. I'm trying to move along here. 
Well, then we have the new covenant in Jeremiah 31. Uh, and uh, let me just read a couple of verses from Jeremiah 31, uh, 31 through 34. It says Isaiah says that, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their father. So I'm just going to pause as a good Baptist and say the very first thing we learn about this new covenant. Whatever we learn down the road is it's not like that one. So discontinuity is the first thing that we hear about it. I'm just going to put that out there. Okay, anyways. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'm going to pause and say as a good Baptist, I would say that this is the part that's not like the old covenant. Listen, this is not like what happened, given what was just read. I'll put my law within them, and I will write it, instead of on tablets, on their heart, unlike the old covenant. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall, shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord. Well, why not? Because everyone in the covenant will know me. They shall all know me. I take it that that's what that means. They shall all know me means that everyone in this covenant will know God. Not know about him, but know him in a saving way. From the least of the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins <clears throat> no more. Uh, we get a... Similar picture over here in Ezekiel. I'm not going to read that one. Uh, by the way, just uh, does everyone realize that you can get all of these notes on our website? All of these are on our website. You look at where the media player is and you go down right next to, right under the link, there's a little rectangle, little PDF thing. And if you want any of my notes, you can go get them. You can also write them. I mean, that's fine. I understand writing down is helpful for memory, but um, some of the things that I don't cover, you can still go look at in the notes and, and, and dive in, dig into yourself, okay? Uh, now, what you're going to realize is that, why, why, why on earth, Tyler, you, you went from, you started with circumcision, now you're talking about, bapt, uh, uh, excuse me, the new covenant, we're talking about baptism, like, what are you doing? Like, did you, are you reading the wrong texts here? Well, no, because how you understand the nature of the new covenant is going to affect what you think about the sign of the covenant, what it communicates, and who it's administered to. Now, I am giving a shamelessly incorrect, I think, Baptistic interpretation of the new covenant. I'm convinced from the scripture that that is the case. And that is why I kind of read Jeremiah 31 the way I read it. And so when we get to the pages of the New Testament, we're still doing groundwork here. We're not even going to get to all the proof texts today. I've got to lay groundwork. Um, when we get to the New Covenant, circumcision of the heart, not baptism, is the fulfillment of circumcision. Circumcision of the heart, not baptism. Okay, so I'm going to, oh yeah, by the way, I need a lot of readers. So everyone get a Bible or your phone out because we're going to need to be reading. I want you to hear these things. Remember, I don't, we, here we, we don't want anyone putting their trust in a man. Everyone needs to know it from the Scripture. 
Okay. If I can't, if you don't, if you're not persuaded from the scripture, you shouldn't believe it just because I do. Okay. So I want to, I want us to hear these things from the scripture. Um, I'm going to read Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 16 again. And I would like someone to read Romans 2, 28 through 29. And then in just a second, Colossians 2, 11 and 12. Who wants to read Romans 2, 28 and 29? Ben, Colossians 2, 11 and 12. Who wants to read that one? Other Ben. Okay. 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 What am I doing? All right. Yet in Deuteronomy 10, skipping forward to 15, yet the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them and you above all peoples as you are this day. Deuteronomy 10, 16, the money verse. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. There's, a, there's, a, there's something here about it. There, he's asking them to do something. It's not clear that they have the ability to do it. And that comes later in the, about the law and what people don't have the ability to do. Uh, but circumcise the foreskin of your heart. It's something going on internal to them. And that might have been very strange for their ears to hear. Uh, you know, they, the only thing that if you're an Israelite, remember, you've already whiffed once on the promised land. Here you are, the second law, Deuteronomy this is Moses' kind of final sermon here. And he, set, he brings a new theological category into the play. Circumcise. Well, we've been circumcising. Look, all of our kids. Are, circumcise your hearts. What would people have thought? Probably like, how do I do that? Like, what, like what, what, on earth, what on earth does that mean? But we get something. We get a bit of an explanation in the progress of redemptive history and revelation. So Romans 2, 28 and 29. Ben. Wow, that is that it's, that's big time right there. It sounds like what what was Moses commanded the people Deuter, Deuteronomy uh, chapter ten is fulfilled by the Spirit in the new covenant. So much so that Paul can say there, you know, the idea that you can just be a Jew like outwardly. He's like that, that's not a that's not a thing. He said the Jews who are Jews are heirs to the promise, and this is very important in the book of Romans, especially when you get down to nine through eleven. The Jews who can claim heirs to the promise are the ones who are Jews inwardly. Who are those who have circum not who are circumcised externally, but those who are circumcised in heart. And so we're going to move on to say that baptism, both outwardly expressed and is closely linked to, I should, I should say expresses, not expressed, and is closely linked to circumcision of the heart. So Ben Grady, uh, with a nice, nice loud voice and a little velocity. Colossians 2, 11 through 12. Listen to this relationship. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. All right, thank you. Now, there are people debate this verse. So, you, uh, people meaning our dear and beloved Presbyterian friends and brothers and sisters in Christ and, and uh, the Baptists go back and forth on what exactly 
this entails, what I'm suggesting that it entails most naturally, and I'm going to, of course, as part of a cumulative case, is that baptism expresses circumcision of heart. That's how I read the relationship there between circumcision of the heart, not with human hands, and that's displayed by being buried with Christ and raised with him in baptism. Okay? More on that later, though. More on that later as I continue to lay some groundwork. Um, and so here's where the, who, who, who is it who receives the sign of the covenant? Well, both our Presbyterian brothers and sisters who believe there is a mixed covenant and both and Baptists who believe that it is a pure covenant in which everyone knows God. And I don't have time to do all that heavy lifting. Now, we talked about that in the biblical framework series. You can go back and look at that. I don't have time to, to go through really even what that means. But hopefully you're, you're following with me. A mixed covenant community in the Old Testament, our Presbyterian brothers and sisters say it's the same now. Believers and unbelievers are members of the new covenant. Baptists say, no, 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 no. This, the new covenant is unlike that one. Everyone in this covenant knows God, has the law written on their heart, okay? And is a covenant keeper, not a covenant breaker. So both agree that people who are born into the covenant should receive the sign. They also believe that. They just disagree on how that happens. Baptists say, yeah, you are born again. You are born from above. Presbyterians say, well, that's one way to do it. You can be born again. I can be an adult who repents and believes. But they say you can also be born into the covenant if both your parents are Christian, or at least one of them is a believer, based off the genealogical seed principle from Abraham. And so that is the basis upon which the infants receive baptism uh, on a, pre a Reformed Presbyterian covenant theology, that just like infants uh, in the Old Testament receive the sign, so infants born into the new covenant receive the sign. And there's really two ways to be born into the new covenant. One, you can be born again from above and be baptized as an adult, or you can be physically born to someone who is spiritually in the, in the covenant. Now, Baptists look at that and say, hmm, that's a theology that got like stuck in transition somewhere. Okay, uh, because the, the words, the word seed, if you go look, really the scripture uses seed and Abraham's seed four different ways. One, all of Abraham's descendants. Two, the special line of Abraham's descendants. So that would be Jacob and not Esau. But both of them have Abraham as father. Remember that that that, uh, uh, um, that becomes critical. So the seed, everyone who physically descended from Abraham. Another use of seed, the special line that ends up being the Israel, the Jewish nation. Third, if you are in Christ, Paul says in Galatians, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And then he said that the promise refers not to seeds, meaning many, but to seed, meaning Christ. Four senses, four source senses in which the word seed is used. And it's difficult. And, and so you could be, you could receive the promise. You might argue that if you're going to argue, if you're going to suggest that people should be receive the sign of the covenant based on the genealogical principle and the physical reproduction, you might ask, in what sense is someone physically born to Christian parents count as a seed? All right, well, let's see. Are they physically descended from Abraham in the most general sense? No, they're not. Are they Jewish? Are they a Jew in the most in the vast majority of our cases? And, and the argument doesn't depend on anyways. The answer is no. Well, are they in Christ? Well, I would say. Uh, not, not in the sense that we see in the New Testament, discussions about infant mortality aside, they've never repented and believed the gospel, and certainly they are not Jesus Christ himself. So why are we baptized? How can you create through a physical process 
a seed that is somehow heirs to the promise. And Baptists say, listen, you're, you're getting stuck. Here's what Baptists say right here. Like circumcision, baptism is also administered to infants. But infants understood in the context of the inaugurated kingdom of God. Infants in Christ, newly born from above, by the Spirit, instead of by a, a mother, who, like all infants, require spiritual milk and nursing. Baptists just say, listen, you have to complete the typology here. You have to complete the typology. Um, there, the idea, we're going to get to this a little bit later, the idea that you were someone who in the first century repented and believed the gospel and didn't get baptized was not even a question. Like, this, that would be unthinkable. Unthinkable. It wouldn't even made sense, someone who said that. Um, and so, Baptists baptize spiritual infants on the basis of their spiritual circumcision as the public physical entry rite of the new covenant. Baptists baptize spiritual infants, that is, those who have newly repented, believe the gospel, then born again, not, not born the first time, but born again, those who are the people who are baptized. In, in, the, in the precedent in the New Testament is that baptism is not something that is separated, uh, in fact, in most cases done on the same day. It's not something that is separated by months and months and perhaps years from when someone repents and believes the gospel, Okay. Um, okay, any questions about that before I move into a little bit of a detour that is going to be new for probably almost everybody? Any questions about what I've talked so far, my shamelessly baptistic understanding of the new covenant, um, the, the, how circumcision of the heart fulfills circumcision? Any questions thus far? I know we're early in the, in the game here. Okay, well, if you have questions, let me know. Otherwise... Let's move on. Now, this is going to be, I want to introduce you to a paradigm that is going to be new for almost all of you. And the reason I'm introducing this to you is because when you go to uh, give a theology of baptisms and you go accumulate texts to say, okay, baptism, this text says baptism X, Y, or Z, there's, there's, a, there's questions that come up. And questions, the number one questions come up that comes up, excuse me, is questions like this. Well, that's talking about spiritual baptism, not water baptism. Okay, if you had these discussions with people, that's the question that's going to come up. And certainly there is a category for the baptism uh, of the Spirit. In fact, that seems to be in the Gospels what John the Baptist says will primarily set Christ apart from him. He says, I baptize you with water, but, but there's one coming after me who not only I'm unworthy to tie his sandals, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So the ministry of Christ certainly involves a dual element where John only involved one, okay? Because he, he's going to talk about, we're going to see spiritual baptism, but it's going to be very closely wed to physical water baptism, which causes some people a great deal of anxiety because it sounds something like baptismal regeneration, Sounds something like, well, uh, Tyler, are you saying that baptism is itself something that brings about uh, someone's justification or union with Christ? That is certainly not what I'm saying. But to understand why, I want you to introduce you to the this paradigm, okay? The conversion initiation paradigm, and it's put forth most clearly, but he's not the first person who's done it, by a guy named Robert Stein. So read this with me. In the New Testament, conversion, and pause real quick before you continue reading, conversion. 
Do you, do you know the word con, is conversion in the New Testament? Not like this. So he's using conversion to talk about the process of, I was walking in darkness, and now I'm walking in light. Well, how do you get from going this way to going this way? That's what he's calling the process. Living and dwelling in one kingdom to all, and somehow something happens, and now I'm living and dwelling in this kingdom. And he's saying, whatever you want to, in the middle, we're going to call that conversion. I'm going from one to the other. That's what conversion means. Okay, conversion, the process, involves five integrally related components or aspects, all of which took place at the same time, usually on the same day. These five components are repentance, faith, which is also belief. It's the same word in the Greek you're going to see. Repentance, faith, and confession by the individual, regeneration, or the giving of the Holy Spirit, and baptism by representatives of the Christian community. Those five elements, okay? It's part one of the hypothesis here. These are integrally related. They generally took place at the same time. Second, different components here, different, I should have probably said elements. Uh, no, well, he said components. Maybe that's why I said that. Different components are used interchangeably to describe the same result or state of affairs, means that some of these pieces can be substituted in for others to describe the result of those things. Therefore, when we see one of the elements, we should understand it as a synecdoche, give me one second, implying the presence of the other elements. What is a synecdoche? Does anyone know, by the way, what a synecdoche is? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, very good. If you heard Ben, it's a, a synecdoche is when a part, when you have one element and, and a variety of elements, but you can mention the one part and it's understood that there are other parts involved. Let me give you two super uh, common examples of colloquial. All hands on deck. Okay? When we say this is all hands on deck, we don't understand that to mean that people are going to cut off their hands and throw them up on, or, and you know give them to you to help out. Right? We need some helping hands. It's like, okay, hold on. Shh. And I toss my hands to you or something like that. What we mean is that hands is a, a, a stand-in for your body doing certain things. All hands on deck, I mean, we need everyone doing something. So it's a one word, and it refers to one part, but it implies much more than just that. Does that make sense? Okay, here's another one. Check out my new wheels, All right? If you said, check out my new wheels, it's very unlikely that someone... Uh, if, if, if with no with no further context is actually just going to go inspect your tires, okay? What they're going to be looking at is your new vehicle, right? It's a synecdoche. It's a part that implies and is understood to be representing more of a whole. Now, when we take this paradigm, it makes sense of a great number of passages, a great number of even gospel passages or conversion type passages that omit critical elements of the process. We're going we're to see, and if this hasn't bothered, it's bothered, this, is, this has really bothered me. Uh, well, this bothered me in, until I figured, until I discovered this paradigm was introduced to me in seminary. Uh, but there are some passages in the New Testament uh, that uh, leave out what I would call critical parts of becoming a Christian. Critical parts, Okay. Uh, and we're going to see that. We're gonna, I'm going to show it to you and show you why this is helpful. So it's helpful for that reason, but it's also helpful 
when you read something and it's baptism, you don't have to have the knee-jerk reaction that it's necessarily only talking about spiritual baptism if you, if you understand that when the presence of one of these things is mentioned, the rest are clearly implied as being there. And the question that could baptism, could I be, could I be a Christian and then not be baptized? It simply wasn't, a, it was not a question, was not a debate that anyone had in the first century. And you can't fault the book of Acts, especially in Paul, for not addressing things that were totally out of, would not even have been considered uh, a legitimate question. Okay? As church history developed, baptism became pushed further and further away from conversion to make sure people weren't heretics. You had catechetical or catechetical, however you say that word, schools, uh, and, and you would go through catechesis and make sure that you weren't doing a version of the kind of like the, the, uh, the American uh, you know, raise your hand, walk the aisle version of Christianity. And so they wanted to vet people for this. But but in but initially here they were all just wed jammed together and that shouldn't cause us any problems if we understand it in this way. So I want I'm going to get a lot of readers here. I'm going to get a lot of readers. So everyone just get ready um, and uh, let's let's let me assign them out first and so then we can go through them in a good flow. Nine twenty seven. Oh, I'm making such good time. Okay, so um, Galatians three twenty six and twenty seven. Glenn. Um, Mark 1 4, Acts 19 4, Galatians 3 2, and 14. Galatians 3 2, and then verse 14. Ben Grady, Ephesians 1 13. Who can read Ephesians 1 13? Seth. Uh, and I'll and I'll I'll do another farmed out batch in just one second. Okay. <clears throat> so what I'm about to show you, I'm about to walk you through a long list of, and it's very important you understand what I'm doing, where these five elements are used together, but it's not all of them. It's not all of them. They are used together and they are used interchangeably. Okay. Listen to this. So first, let's look at an example that uh, that we'll also come back to because it encompasses a lot of faith and baptism together. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Okay, so everyone who is clothed with Christ, you have the clothing with Christ, you have the, what's the first part? Can you read the 26 again? For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Yes, yes, through faith. And that word faith, again, is the same word as belief. Okay, you are all sons of God through faith. Then you have baptism right next to it. Baptism directly next to it. Stein. No temporal gap was assumed between these two components of the conversion experience. The possibility that one could have faith but not be baptized was not even perceived by Paul as an option. Okay, it simply was not even in the thought space. Um, it only comes a little bit later, and it does come fairly quickly, but it comes later in... in church history, and, they, and it was supposed to be for a very good, I don't even necessarily saying it's bad, not even necessarily saying that it's a, it was a bad thing to have catechesis, but, but in their, in, it, when Paul is writing, the idea that you could say, uh, someone could step up and say, I am ready to follow Jesus, and then say, I'm not getting baptized, but then you're not ready to follow Jesus. I mean, in, in the first century, that's how it would have been uh, understood. 
what I'm suggesting to you. Okay, so we've seen it. So first example, faith and baptism together. All right, what about repentance and baptism? Mark 1, 4, and then Acts 19, 4. Okay, excellent. A baptism of for, uh, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and you, of course, that you have to. And, and it's really helpful to when you're when you get over to Acts chapter two. That's a really nice text to have because that baptism for the forgiveness of sins isn't to be understood as the baptism that forgives sins. It is on the basis of your sins being forgiven in light of repentance. Okay, but nevertheless, you have repentance and baptism wed together, and, and Christ is going to do. Uh, the, the mission of Christ is going to entail a baptism that surpasses John the Baptist. Acts 19, 4. Uh, and Paul says, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. Okay, so again, we have repentance and baptism as elements, despite being the fact that they're tied to John the Baptist here, being superseded by Jesus, who will require repentance, and will require baptism, um, but in a, in, a, in, a, in a way that is more powerful and is, as a corollary has spirit baptism as a component. So now let's look at one that puts faith, belief, and regeneration, or the spirit, the giving of the spirit together as components. So Galatians 3.2. Who's got Galatians 3.2? Yes. Okay, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So in this case, well, how do I become, how, am I, how do I become, how do I get saved? You might be a good Southern Baptist and ask such a question like that. Well, in, 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 in this text, the answer is faith and the giving of the Holy Spirit. That's what happens. That's the process. Okay, those two elements, those two elements. Notice here, though, where is Repentance. Repentance didn't make it in. Repentance didn't make it in there. You receive the promise by faith, the Holy Spirit, which is what we call regeneration, what I'm calling regeneration, essentially circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, but no repentance makes it in. Yeah, you have a question? Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry, I thought you put your hand up. My bad. Okay. Um, all right, now let's talk about regeneration, the giving of the Spirit, and baptism itself. So I need a, oh wait, no, I'm sorry, we skipped Ephesians 1.13. How could I? Who has Ephesians 1.13? Yes, yeah, Seth. Okay, great. So I believed in him. I received the spirit. So you don't have to repent. How about that? No, that's not it, right? That's not it. If, unless, again, this is the power of this paradigm. You see these two elements, assume the rest are there. Next. All right, so now let's look at a couple more. I hope you, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't put these up here for you. I do apologize. There it is. All right, so here is our next set of texts. Next set of texts. Let's just get, let's just get some of these here. Oh, well. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, what happened? Oh, okay, okay, good, thanks. Okay, there we go. Okay, Romans 6, 3, and 4. 
Ben Scott, First uh, Corinthians twelve thirteen. Ben Ward, and then the one that is a little bit Titus three four and five. We got to read it sometime. Titus three four and five. Josh, we're also going to have the all of the. I'm not. Uh, I'll, well, I'll read that in just a second here. All right, Romans ten nine. <laughs> probably don't have some. Someone probably quote that from the Romans road. But who wants to read Romans ten nine? Nobody wants to read. Glenn wants to read Romans ten nine. Thank you, Glenn. Confession and so Acts twenty two sixteen. Who can read Acts twenty two sixteen? Ben Grady. All right, we're going to go through this ch- chunk and then we'll source the last batch of texts. Faith and baptism associated together. Repentance and baptism. Faith and regeneration. Regeneration and baptism. And uh, by the way. Uh, if you thought, I, well, no, you'll see in just a second. I saved that one for a different category. All right, so let's look at an example of regeneration, that is to say the giving of the Holy Spirit um, and baptism wed together. Romans 6, 3 and 4. Okay, and that's that that during the, the newness of life there, particularly in conjunction with the Spirit, you have regeneration and baptism right there in the same passage. And that's one of those passages where you have people say, no, 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 it's spiritual baptism. But there's just no reason to necessarily think that's what it's talking about if you have this paradigm in place. The reason people, of course, say that is because they want to avoid the implication that baptism is what you know justifies your soul or something like that. And that's a good reason to not want to say that. Um, but uh, there, there's there's no, and it's also not clear that when you the, with the giving of the Spirit, like, can you read the first? Uh, can you read verse three again, Ben? Sorry, did you move along? Apologize. Okay, and uh, and then uh, just go ahead and finish it one more time. Go ahead and read four. Okay, so again, there's an example of regeneration wed very closely. Regeneration, as we're understanding it, a new heart, a new life, wed very closely to baptism. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Who's got that one? Okay, both right there. Which one is it? Is it spirit baptism or drinking of the bat? Oh, was it? No. Well, I mean, it just, I don't know why. It, it, and, and a lot of New Testament scholars, including Stein, doesn't know why. Uh, we can't understand the spirit and water baptism being just both right together here and that not implying anything about the causal relationship between the two. They're simply elements that are always assumed to be together. Okay? They're elements that are assumed to always be together as part of the synecdoche. Just like uh, certain elements are missing from all these other pairings, there are certain elements missing from that one as well. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Now, Titus 3, 4, and 5 is one that is not quite as clear whether it's water baptism or baptism of the Spirit. People debate, but who's got that? 
Nobody? Who has it? Oh, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Okay, so now there, there is, oh, is the washing of regeneration, is that a reference to Ezekiel and then you're going to get clean water sprinkled on you? Or is this the early church fathers, what they called the laver of regeneration? Um, and they, and they, I think in places they made some missteps with their understanding of baptism. But nevertheless, if you have this paradigm in place, there's, there's no reason that you can't think that the, wa- the, what, uh, um, re- re- the washing part, how, does it, how exactly is it phrased? You're reading ESV, right? Oh, no. ESV? Okay, go ahead. One more time. Yes. Okay. So Stein particularly commented on this passage. He says a lot of, he gives a lot of reasons for why that audience would not have included, since baptism, they had, because of how their church had developed, they would not have associated washing with something inwardly. And because washing, um, in fact, let me look at this one second. The strongest point here, if you're wondering, oh, Tyler, it's a stretch. It's, it's not a stretch, I don't think. It may not be right, but it's not a stretch. One second. Okay, yeah, no, we'll get to that one. That's not the one I was thinking of. There's something in the context I left out. Okay, so is that the case? The washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit seems to mention two things. So if you're saying, did Paul just say the same thing twice? By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Do you read that as just uh, uh, washing of regeneration and washing of regeneration? Or the renewal of the Holy Spirit and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. He just repeat himself in the span of one uh, when he's trying to explain it. Or, and that's possible, sometimes Paul does repeat himself. Sometimes Paul repeats himself. It's not clear that that's what's going on. It's not clear that the original audience there would have understand, under understood the washing that is associated with the newness of life as anything other than being water uh, baptized in the water. That's what I would suggest. You also have multiple instances in the gospel, six times in the gospel in Acts, or the baptism of John is contrasted with the baptism to be provided by Jesus. Okay, uh, While John baptizes with water, Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit while commanding water baptism in conjunction with it. You get that in Matthew 28, particularly. Okay, So it's not as though G- you know, John had a water baptism. Jesus, the only thing that mattered for him was the Spirit baptism. No, Jesus commands water baptism as well in conjunction with uh, 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 having the, having the gospel uh, uh, believed and repenting. All right, faith and confession. This is the one that always bothered me the most. By the way, Romans ten nine. Romans ten nine. Go ahead. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, so here we have another two elements combined: confession and belief, faith. But where's repentance? It always bugged me. If you're telling someone how to be saved and you don't mention repent, you have to repent. Well, 
then I would say, like, you need, you know, Jesus' first words of his public ministry, repent, the kingdom of God's at hand. Why is it not here? It bothered me a lot. I was like, this is, I would have corrected how that person was, how Paul was sharing the gospel here. What's his problem? Then I thought, you know, maybe, maybe Paul, Paul knew a little more than I do. Maybe there was something there. And as it turns out, oh yeah, I, 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 uh, I even put this there. That's what always bothered me. But as it turned out, if we're following our paradigm here, faith and confession assume all the other elements. Assume all the other elements. Let's look at confession and baptism. Acts 22.16. Who has that one? That calling is the confession. Okay, the calling is the confession. Calling on the name of the Lord. Calling out in confession. It doesn't say explicitly repentance on there. Uh, but the idea is you have the baptism and calling out to the Lord for forgiveness of sin pictured right there together. Can you read it one more time, Ben? Okay, why do you wait? What does that imply about what we've been saying? There's not a waiting period. In the beginning, there wasn't a waiting period. Why do you wait? The idea is like, let's go. Let's get on with it. Oh, well, I want to spend a year contemplating whether... I, no, 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 no. It's all in the first century. The audience, the original audience, it's all happened all together. It's all associated together. And the systematic questions about, well, what's the causal relationship between one to the other just aren't being asked right here. Just asking questions that the text isn't trying to provide. It's not that's a bad question. In fact, it's a question that's necessitated by baptism being separated sometimes by months and years. Oh, well, when were they saved? You still have the thief on the cross. You still have there's still examples, but that's not. This is not supposed to be. Uh, this is talking about what normal practice is. All right, let's see if we can just knock out um, one more of these. Um, let's say no, let's do, yeah, Let's do one more real quick. Let's do faith and repentance. Faith and repentance together. Um, so Mark one fourteen and fifteen. Mark 1, 14 and 15, Ben Ward, and then finally Acts 20, 21. Acts 20, 21. Yeah, right here. Thank you, Dan. All right, Mark 1, 14 and 15. All right, repentance and faith. But those, well, don't I have to confess? Where's confession? No, it didn't make it in. What happened? Why is Jesus saying the wrong way to get into the kingdom? Well, could it be that those, again, these elements imply the presence of the rest of the elements? All right, finally, Acts 20, 21. All right, again, an example where you have faith and repentance is the way to come into the kingdom of God, but you don't have anything about regeneration. You don't have anything about baptism. You don't have anything about uh, repentance. I don't think that's problematic if you have the, this framework in place. All right, so next time we're going to come back and look at a couple things. We're going to look at a couple more of these. I'm going to show you repentance, regeneration, and baptism together. Then I'm going to show you faith, regeneration, repentance, and baptism together. 
And then I'm going to show you how these words are used interchangeably. Salvation comes through repentance. Salvation comes through faith. Salvation comes through confession. Salvation comes through repentance. Salvation comes through baptism. Union with Christ comes through baptism. Union with Christ comes through faith. Sonship comes through faith. Sonship comes through baptism. I'm going to, go, I'm going to show you these things. They're used interchangeably. You assume the rest. You can't be asking the wrong questions of the text and trying to do a, a systematic uh, breaking things down when what is being presented is the process, the conversion process of walking, not uh, thought Christian thought experiments about what ifs. Okay? All right. Thank you for the time. I know, I hope that didn't cross anyone's eyeballs. Please come and ask me questions. If you have questions, if you're nervous, if you think I'm preaching some heterodox theology, I promise I'm not. Let me explain it uh, before you, you uh, uh, conclude that. And I look forward to, to moving through further through this paradigm. And then we can start building a theology of baptism from the New Testament. Then we can start building a more robust theology of baptism without saying, oh, I'm not sure that's a legitimate text because I'm going to think it's this. Okay, let's pray. God, we are happy to have confessed our sin, repented and believed the gospel, been washed by the Spirit, but also have tasted the renewal. We have tasted baptism through water. We've been buried with Christ and raised if we are in Christ. And so, Lord God, we pray that you would help us think carefully about these things, humbly about these things, and to rejoice in your sovereignty over all of it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you. Sorry I went two minutes.